Okay, another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. We're rolling out part three of our playoff postmortems. We broke down the first 10 with Jack from JFresh. Now we're bringing on Alex McLean, uh, repeat guest on the podcast to uh, break down another five. But uh, Alex, I don't think we've spoken since the start of these playoffs. And what happens here? Like the, the Nashville Predators lose and you just run off to the forest? Yeah, I, I spent some time away from uh, hockey after that. Had a couple of days to take some deep breaths and uh, do some heavy thinking. But uh, they didn't even win the Lafreniere lottery either. So that was a uh, second little gut punch. But uh, at least they have some core pieces that are still okay. But there, there's some flaws with that team that I'm a little worried about. So not sure exactly uh, what direction David Poyle's going to take, but uh, they've got some interesting decisions coming up. Okay, we already broke down the the Predators. We did the postmortem mm-hmm. with Jack, but like, give me give me one minute on the Predators. What direction would you take it in? Uh, I think they're uh, goaltending. You have to start to hand over to Saros. That's uh, just the way the team is going. Ingram can step in over the next year or two as a backup on defense. They need a little bit more depth. You can't really keep running out. Uh, Irwin Weber ham. is retiring. You can't really keep running out those guys. They're just not effective enough to give you enough minutes on the depth pairs. Their top few guys are solid. I'm looking for a few steps forward from Fabro as well. Uh, but overall, they just need a little bit more of that uh, back-end depth there. At forward, I really don't know what to say. They have Forsberg and Arvidsson, who are solid, and they looked great with uh, Ryan Johansson through the playoffs. But after that, it's a mess of free agents and underperforming big contracts and depth players like Kelly Arncroft and Rocco Grimaldi, who you really don't want as your second line guys, but they make great third line guys. So I, I'm curious to see what happens with those second line guys, uh, the free agents, Craig Smith uh, and Michael Granlund, who probably aren't brought back in addition to Matt Duchesne and Kyle Turris, who are two of the more overpaid guys in the league right now. I was I was throwing around the idea of do they trade Ekholm now that he's two years away from unrestricted free agency or do you take one last run with him and if it doesn't work out then maybe you trade him at the deadline? It's something they could look into, especially with the Seattle draft coming up, where getting down to three defensemen you want to keep and having a bunch of forwards you can keep would be advantageous. So I could see uh, Ekholm being the odd one out there. And he would definitely fetch quite a haul on the trade market, I'm sure. So that's that's definitely an option that they probably will look into. I don't know how heavily they will kind of push for it. Because he's the kind of guy you want to have on your team, which also makes him a good trade chip. So it's a bit of a risk if they were to move him. But uh I mean, what they're doing right now isn't getting them too far in the playoffs, so maybe something does need to be changed up. 
Yeah, I think David Poyle is dying to make another desperation move, and I, I think it could really <laughs> it could really hamstring them for for the next little while. Um, but yeah. we'll move on from the Predators. Uh, how about the St. Louis Blues? The the last team eliminated. They were the defending champs, but uh, there will be a new champion this season. They were eliminated at six games by the upstart Vancouver Canucks. So, Alex, the St. Louis Blues, uh, is their window still open or is it closed? I, I think their window is still firmly open. It was a great series to watch with Vancouver, and Vancouver's speed and power play picked them apart a little bit in addition to the goaltending uh, struggling between both Bennington and Allen a bit. But uh, overall, St. Louis just has such a deep team. They have at least three forward lines that they can just roll out at you and they can defend, they can score goals, they can hit. Their fourth line as well even isn't, uh, or at least it's above average in terms of uh, standard fourth line teams around the league they've got the farm depth up front as well with Jordan Cairo and a uh, whole bunch of other names that are kind of coming up and can fill in for the guys like Alex Steen and Tyler Bozak that might be going out the door soon on defense Petrangelo is the real question even without him I think they can still be a solid contender with Colton Pareko anchor in the blue line and other guys, Dunn, Falk, uh, Edmonton's now on Carolina. But uh, they, they've got quite a bit of depth there. They've got Perunovic coming up as well. So I, I think they've got a lot to like there. And even if Alex Petrangelo does walk, then they've got uh, enough to keep them in contention every year anyway. I'm curious if you see the same thing or something else maybe. Yeah, I disagree. If Petrangelo's gone, their window is closed. You look at the teams that are still left in the bubble and out West, like every single team, they've got two bona fide number one defensemen like Schmidt and Theodore in Vegas, Heisken and Klingberg in Dallas. Okay, Vancouver's only got the one in Quinn Hughes, but uh, Gerard and Makar in Colorado. It's it's these awesome multi-dimensional defensemen that you can roll out on two lines. You basically control play for 50 plus minutes. It's how they won the cup last year. Like it was, you know, Pareko plus Petrangelo plus these other these other big body defensemen that they played on defense. And it was just it was like you know going through a thicket of bushes trying to get through their defense last season. Like it was just these albatross arms and humongous wingspans uh, up and down their blue line and capable of moving the puck quickly. And while Pareko is, he's awesome. And maybe he can step into that number one spot. I would have some questions about whether he's going to provide uh, quite the offense um, now that we've seen him play at this level for uh, much longer, it doesn't seem like there's that next level that Petrangelo did end up getting to. So if they can't find a way to keep him, they're going to be down that second elite defenseman and 
the rest of their defense group, like with Jay Bomeister being out now, like it's not looking quite as promising. You mentioned Perunovic on the way up, and maybe that's a way that they can, you know, bring him into the lineup and keep costs down. But I, I just, I don't see it. I think that that defense gets a lot creakier without Petrangelo. And I don't think Falk is very good. And they almost have to keep him playing big minutes because of the money that they put into him. But that just like that deal just keeps getting worse and worse and worse for them. Uh, and his contract is, hasn't even kicked in yet. So maybe they can find a taker for his salary, but in the flat cap situation, I think it's, it's going to be bad. So Alex, do you think there is a path to finding the cap space to keep Petrangelo? Like right now they've got just under 3 million to spend this summer and they've got Petrangelo and Vince Dunn to resign. Yeah, I noticed you were uh, looking at that on Twitter recently as well. Um, and I think you're right. It does come down to Alex Steen and maybe Tyler Bozak as well. But Yeah, I, uh, have, uh, I have both those names highlighted. Steen, his bio doesn't save them enough money. Like He, he still mm-hmm. ends up ringing up on the cap for $3.5 million if they buy him out. So I think they have to go Marlowe-esque cap dump use either their first this year or I would go their first next year, package it up, sell it off. I know there's a lot of Habs fans that are interested in that potential. I think (laughs) that uh, because they realize that they have, like we'll get into the, the Habs later, but they realize that their window to spend money probably is just this year and they don't want to bog down the cap. So taking on another contract, but like the Habs have enough picks. Anyways, uh, that's a potential option. Uh, I think Carolina, they could end up doing it again. We'll talk about them as well. Uh, New Jersey, maybe Buffalo. I don't know. There's, there's a few teams that could buy themselves an extra pick if they're ambitious enough. And maybe Carolina is the only team that actually has the, the front office uh, willingness to do something like that. Although you wonder uh, with, cash flow being so low if anyone is going to be willing to spend that kind of money to to buy one of those but you also mentioned bozak so dig into steen bozak what can they do with these guys yeah i guess the bonus with looking into steen and uh, owners possibly taking him on is that next year he's only owed 3.5 million in actual money compared to his cap hit of 5.75 so there's that little bonus that the teams that do have the cap space, they only need to spend the extra three and a half versus the extra 2 million saved uh, compared to the cap hit. So there's that uh, angle to it as well, that you could see a couple of teams say, yeah, it's only 3.5 that we we really have to spend for it. So it it looks a little bit more appealing from that angle. Uh, In Tyler Bozak's case, he's been a solid third line center for the blues and can play a bunch of different roles. His salary is actually a little lower as well than his cap hit uh, 4.2 for next year. So that that's an option as well. And would probably take a little less uh, to move than Steen. I see Steen's is maybe the harder one to move or the more expensive one for St. Louis to move. I don't know if that's just me, uh, some kind of personal bias there against Steen or something, but I, I feel like Bozak still has a little bit more to give. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Like Steen, he really just looks like he's done. And maybe he maybe he rescues this situation by just retiring, although it did who knows? You know, it's it's we're several months away from having to come back and do training camps and that stuff. So we'll see how he feels about how his I guess his fall uh ends up going for him uh the the offseason being uh rearranged here um mm -hmm. but you know he pushed through to to come back for these late playoffs so uh you could see him coming back and i mean i think there's some no trade clauses that would have to be dealt with if you were going to dump his contract but as we saw with the marlow situation it's you're not going to be on this team one way or another so you, you kind of have to do it with bozak i, I wondered if the Blues were willing to eat a million or two of his contract, retain a bit of that salary, they could still open up a ton of room rather than buying him out. And maybe they could get a late round pick uh, out of the deal. A team like the Jets, who are constantly trying to find uh, centermen, could uh, could be a team with some cap space and, and a willingness to do that. Um, that that's just some ideas that I've batted around and it, those two moves completely dumping Steen and a retained salary transaction with Bozak gets the blues to a little over 10 million in cap space. And now you can squeeze done on his, uh, his RFA deal. And if you can get Petrangelo to a Yossi-esque deal, you're talking about being able to return basically your entire roster. Mm -hmm. And so there are a few avenues that uh, they could look into around that to make it all fit. So it's not impossible at this point. It won't be easy. But uh, I think the other name that we kind of have to talk about here is Vladimir Tarasenko. And he got sent back to St. Louis to have his surgically repaired shoulder re-examined and get a few extra opinions on it. So that doesn't sound promising moving forward. and there could be a reality where he doesn't play next year if he ends up having to get it repaired again and do a full set of rehab and rest it up then maybe you have 7.5 million off your books next year or on long-term injured reserve and there's your number that you need to open up enough space to sign Petrangelo to sign Dunn and then to see Steen and Shen, or sorry, Steen and Bozak walk the next summer. Well, Alex, you you beat me to the punch. I was going to talk about Tarasenko and his injury situation as well. That is an interesting wrinkle that maybe they could put Tarasenko on that LTIR if his shoulder is bad and then you you kind of buy yourself some time to make some moves but I do believe there is a certain percentage where you're not allowed to go any further above the cap and you don't have LTIR in the off season so I wonder about exactly what thresholds they would be able to meet with regard to spending in in that sort of fashion I think that the Leafs had to do some some finagling with that stuff in the past as they had all those LTIR contracts as well. So I don't know how much they're, they're allowed to go over the cap in the off season and if that's something that they could pull off, but that's an interesting uh, notion. Do you think like Tarasenko, he's 29 and now we're talking about 
a sniper who's got multiple shoulder injuries. Do you think this could be the end of elite uh, sniper Tarasenko at that level? Like, I don't think it's the end of his career, but do you think it's the end of him being an elite uh, 30 plus goal option? It, it very well could be. He could be, <clears throat> if, if we do see him come back to full health, then it's probably still always going to be in the back of his mind. And he was a guy that played a very bull-like game at times where he would go through you or just take the hard uh, angle to the net rather than uh, try and finesse his way around you. He could do that as well. But uh, without that kind of power element to his game, you you do wonder if it would affect... uh, how well he could still produce at uh, the NHL level. And yeah, maybe at that point he does take a step back to a second line scoring role and uh, maybe a bit more of a power play specialist at that point. Yeah. He was nicknamed tank for a reason, right? He was, Mm -hmm. he was an absolute bulldog out there. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he ages and that whole roster. It's, it's one of the older lineups in the league. They do have some intriguing youngsters that you already met mentioned and, and Robert Thomas is probably the, uh, the hope for this team. If they're going to continue trending upward at all, it's going to be because he turns into a star. What are your expectations for him going forward does he kind of max out as a b-level type or is he going to be uh, the heir apparent as the number one center at some point i think it was you that i traded with in one of uh, my fantasy leagues a few years ago to nab a first rounder to select robert thomas uh maybe a couple spots earlier than he was expected to go and i i have thought he had the potential to be a star since then. And he's done nothing to prove me wrong to this point. He's shown flashes of what he can do. He still hasn't put it fully together uh, in an NHL season yet. But uh, I I do think he can get to that point of being a point-per-game player in the NHL and really excelling as a, a very cerebral player who can uh, beat you in all kinds of ways. Yeah, that, that was me that we traded with. I moved back one spot and Thomas was the guy I was going to take if I didn't move back one spot. But uh, you've got these, you've got these draft philosophies that, uh, and rules that you kind of just have to follow if, uh, if you're going to be consistent. So if you get offered a bounty to move back one spot, even if you really like the guy, you you make that decision. We see we've seen it time and again, where no one really knows what they're doing at the draft floor, especially the farther you go back. But it it, it sounds like you uh, you nailed a, a good one there. Um, I'd be remiss if we talked about the Blues and didn't just mention the absolute dominant showing of Ryan O'Reilly. How many more years of epic Selkie? Con Smythe type play do you think he has left? As many as he wants to. <laughs> uh, I think if uh, Patrice Bergeron can keep getting better as he ages, then Ryan O'Reilly can do the same. I, I think he's just such a smart, physically dominant player that uh, even just his face-off uh, prowess 
puts him in a whole other level. But uh, being able to score the way he does and up his game in the postseason, I think he's gone from a 0.9 points per game in the regular season to about a point per game in the playoffs over the last couple of years. And what he can do on the defensive side of the puck as well is just outstanding. And if he wants to do it until he's 35, 36, 37, then I'm not going to bet against him. Yeah, are we sure that he's not using some sort of magnets in his stick with the puck? Because it seems like that puck is glued to his stick. Have you seen his blade? I haven't, no. The shape of his curve? No. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the strangest thing I've ever seen. Is it like a fish hook? Yeah, it's not far off of that. Uh, My brother sent me a picture of it uh, the other day, and I think he found it in an athletic article somewhere, so I can't give full credit to whoever dug it up, unfortunately. But uh, go check it out after we finish recording this. It's completely ridiculous, just mind-boggling. Yeah, I think it was that Thomas Drance article. I haven't read that one. That's, that one's sitting in, in my bookmarks. Uh, quickly, uh, before we get off the blues, uh, Jordan Binnington, he had uh, a little bit of a meltdown. Any concerns with him going forward? I, I think he's been taking off, taken off the pedestal anyway uh, in terms of just being invincible. But he's still a good goalie, and he's still, in my opinion anyway, I guess not yours, he's still going to have a – good team in front of him, uh, both defensively and offensively. So I, I'm not too worried about him going into next year. I paid a fair price to acquire him in uh, one league, and I'm looking to do so in another league. But uh, it, it's it's tough to really say with goalies. And Bennington's shown well, but he's also shown some cracks this year. So you wonder, uh, can he – kind of patch that up and move forward with how dominant he was uh, over the last calendar year? Or is this kind of the beginning of teams starting to figure him out? And does he move forward as just a league average goalie? Or is he even going down farther than that? It's it's tough, but I think he's going to come back strong in a contract year looking for his big money deal. Just just slight slight little bits of uh of matt murray vibes coming off this situation but Mm -hmm. uh i I still think the blues are going to be good but i just don't think that they're that championship level if they can't bring petrangelo back uh but moving on from them washington capitals is their window open or is it closed Uh, i think it's closer to closing than it is to opening but uh they they still have a few years left their roster as you said with the blues it's uh definitely not young it's one of also one of the older ones i think in uh the league but uh they they've got some very good pieces as it's mainly the same team that they won a cup with and that was only two years ago now though it seems like forever ago but uh, they've still got another year of Ovechkin on his contract. And as long as he doesn't decide he wants to retire or move back to Russia at the end of that, then he should be a key part of keeping them in contention for another couple of years anyway. I think they still have a few years left, but uh, maybe not more than two or three with 
the current setup anyway? Yeah, I think it's closed. Uh, honestly, they had the goal for differential of a championship contender. Basically, they just outscored all of their defensive problems. But most of that was driven by their bottom six forwards. And that's just not a recipe for success. You can win if all of your lines are rolling. Like you look at what Colorado and Vegas are doing. And those teams look like buzzsaws because they've got all four of their lines rolling and winning that goal share and shot share. But if you're only doing it with your bottom six and your best players aren't your best players, you go up against the best teams and you're going to get run out of the building. And so their best players aren't getting any younger, as you alluded to. Ovechkin, yeah, he's a metronome, but he's not doing it as much at five on five. He's not driving play at five on five. They're still going to have a good power play with him but Backstrom's deal hasn't even kicked in yet and it already looks like a Chicago Blackhawks legacy contract he doesn't look like the same guy that he once was so I wonder if they're not looking like they're going to be the next Chicago Blackhawks it it could very well be that they do take a step back next year and kind of reset but as we saw with uh, Chicago, sometimes all it takes is a year or two uh, out of the playoffs and Chicago step back up and they look at least better, maybe not quite uh, top tier contender, but they, their youth is coming up with uh, Kubelik and Dak and Buckfist and uh, they, they've got some pieces that are still there around their main core of Keith and, uh, or sorry, Kane and Taze, Keith. I guess is technically part of the core, but I don't think he's one of those top guys anymore. But uh, back to Washington. Yeah, you mentioned that Ovechkin isn't driving play as much, and Backstrom, I agree, is looking a little slower. But uh, Kuznetsov still only 28. You have uh, Jacob Verana, who's just waiting for that full power play opportunity. And I think he can really step up and be – uh, an extra very solid piece to help drive that offense from the top set of lines. And their bottom six doesn't really need to be touched at all. Their defense might need another puck mover to complement uh, Carlson and Orlov, as opposed to kind of their Brennan, Dillon, and Ride Kokudis types that they were running out uh, this past year. But uh, probably their biggest question mark is in net, where it comes down to can Ilya Samsonov carry the load and be better than Braden Holtby has been the last two years? Yeah, I mean, he was this year, so you kind of project forward. And if there's a silver lining to how this season went, it's that they're probably going to avoid giving Holtby that legacy deal. I don't think he was as bad as the numbers looked like, but at the same time, I don't know how you bring him back at a big number that he's going to be trying to fetch. I could see him coming back on a, on a shorter term deal. If he goes out into the FA market and just, just gets crickets. No one, no one wants to answer the phone for him, but uh, otherwise I think it's Samsonov and then you find a, uh, a reasonable veteran to pair with them. Maybe it's a Thomas Grice or, or someone of that ilk that they tandem up there and they 
move forward with probably a better goaltending situation. Uh, a lot of folks have put out the pitchforks for Todd Reardon, their head coach. And I guess that's what happens when you lose in round one a couple years in a row. But it sure feels like he was put into a can't-win situation taking over for a Hall of Fame head coach. And then he's taken over this roster that finally got over the hump but is is aging out. So is this just a, a situation of bad timing or do they need to make a change at the uh, coaching position? I can't say I'm hugely well-versed in exactly what Reardon has changed or anything, but I'm generally on board with you thinking that, yeah, he was just put in a bad situation and there's probably not a lot uh, more he could have done with it at this point. And really the calls for him are likely just people wanting to shake things up. And usually that's either, oh, we need to trade this underperforming superstar or we need to fire our head coach. And at this point, nobody wants to trade Ovechkin or Backstrom. So it falls on the head coach. Yeah, I'm wondering, they've got a handful of decent young players who could step in on entry-level deals. We already saw a few of them this season in Martin Fehevery and Jonas Siegenthaler, and maybe Alexander Alexiev is able to come up, and that would rejigger their defense core quite a bit. Um, and Connor McMichael is on his way as well. I think a lot of folks wanted to see him in the bubble, but there's a very good chance that he just wasn't ready at all. But the fact that it wasn't working was not going to quell the calls for him to step in. And then if they get Samsonov back, I wonder if this just isn't a situation where they end up firing the head coach and then the new guy steps in and he's got a whole bunch of new bright shiny toys that the other guy didn't really have access to or weren't ready to, to perform up to that level. And then uh, it's, it's a much better situation for the new guy. Yeah, it, it very well could be. You could see a lot of the times with head coach firings, it gets to a point where things just have nowhere to go, but up. And if Washington, I don't think they're going to fire him this offseason, but if they get off to a poor start uh, maybe a month into the next regular season, then he could be on his way out just as they look to shake things up. And that would be enough time to kind of get McMichael and Alexiev and them to have their feet wet and really make a difference after that. The problem with Washington is they have one of the worst farm systems in the NHL. So after the Alexievs and the McMichaels, there really is not much at all uh, that they can look forward to coming up their pipeline. So if those guys aren't enough to jumpstart things, then they're really going to have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what, who are we and what do we want to do moving forward? You know, one of the things that's at least been good for them even as they've contended all these years is that when they do have first round picks they seem to nail them you mentioned mm -hmm. Jakob Verana and McMichael these are two of their most recent first round picks and they they absolutely crushed it with those Samsonov is another one not missing on your first rounder is is a huge deal so I think that that's going to be big time for them 
in restocking the farm system over the next couple of years is not trading those first rounders and chasing it because I don't think the window is open. And if if the window does get reopened, it's going to because be because those young players are able to step up. Uh, just the last thing on Washington before we move on. The Metro looks like an absolute gauntlet next season. I think even New Jersey is going to talk themselves into going for it. So where would you rank them uh, in that division for next season? Still above New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they're passing Pittsburgh. I don't... I don't know how many other teams I would really put them ahead of at this point. They, yeah. they might be uh, closer to the bottom than they are to the top, but as it is every year in the Metro, it seems like there's just a log jam of teams that could contend. And it's been that way for the last few years, uh, especially with the Rangers surprising recently. Yeah, so there's, there's going to be a surprise team that misses the playoffs out of that group because they, yeah. they got seven in because of the playoff format this year, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be able to get seven in. They got a max of five slots, so there's going to be a couple of teams that fancy themselves contenders and aren't going to get in there. Yeah, if you told me that Washington had a bit of a resurgence next year and finished first in the division, I wouldn't be too shocked. If you told me they tied with New Jersey for last in the division, I also wouldn't be too surprised. So, yeah, they they have quite a bit of a range in terms of uh, where we realistically could see them. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned it. You wouldn't be shocked if they surged up to first in the division. It's what happened this year. Like they, they kind of surprised everyone by hanging on to that despite looking very creaky. Uh, I wonder if what their, what their established veteran uh, level, if it doesn't just set a baseline where they're going to be a playoff team, but then once they get in, they're going to get worked by the, uh, the truly elite teams. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes, is their window open or is it closed? I, I think it's really just starting to open. They have, a lot to look forward to. They've got a really young team. They have only Jordan Stahl of relevance is over the age of 28 and he's still only 31. So he's not old. They've got Ajo's 23, Tara Vinen, uh, Trocek, Svechnikov is the key piece as always. Martin Nietzsche's is looking excellent and he needs more ice time. And their farm system is hugely stocked. Their defense is solid. They have all of the important guys signed. As with as it has been the last few years, it's just going to be goaltending for them. And can they sort that out? Do they run with Morazic and Reimer for another year because they're both signed for another year? If they can instead go out and sign a Markstrom or a Leonard or somebody, then they could really be a force to look forward to next year. Yeah, they flirted with Robin Lehner last year, and then they ultimately just went with the cheaper option in Mrazic. I wonder if there isn't a situation where maybe they retain a little bit of salary and trade off one of Mrazic or Reimer to a goaltending needy team that strikes out in free agency. And if they can't go with the uh, the secure option and and 
sign a Robin Lehner to a long-term contract. Like they really got to be kicking themselves just seeing how up and down their goaltending was this past season. I don't think they're hanging their, their loss on their goaltending, but at the same time, you look at what Laner is doing in Vegas and it's like, man, this guy is one of the best context free goaltenders in the league. He's, he's the one plug and play option that I think is available on the free agent market. Uh, I think I talk about him on every single podcast. I'm, I'm kind of infatuated with what he could do for a team and they've got 9 million to spend this summer. They've really only got to re-sign Warren Fogley and find a replacement for Justin Williams, assuming he's not back. And basically the, like the, the bottom pairing of their defense needs to be uh, rebuilt, but that can be done just by bringing Jake Bean up and he's still got a year left on his entry level deal. Um, do you think that, uh, that chasing that number one goaltender is, is the best course of action, even if it means spending very big money and potentially bogging down their cap going forward? I, I think it's worthwhile. I think as long as they have, enough money set aside for Svechnikov uh, coming up in the summer of 2021, assuming that's when free agency is at that point. You have everybody else of importance is signed until at least 2022, except for Dougie Hamilton, who, yeah, you might be able to get for eight, nine million. Uh, So it's not a huge uh, raise off of his current uh, about six million that he's making, and with Reimer and Mrazek off the books at that point, then if you're just paying the one goalie bigger money, they could make it work. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to them going out and signing Leonard to whatever he's looking for, seven million a year, something uh, along those lines. But uh, they they would have to be cautious with it anyway. It's not. Uh, the solution to all of their problems that will create a few new ones. I really think that this coming season is their single best opportunity to win. I think the window is going to be open for a while because you mentioned they've got this elite young roster that drives play and goal differential and is probably only going to be getting better. But like you mentioned, Svechnikov and Dougie Hamilton are up after this season and that's going to be, you're, you're looking at potentially adding 12 million onto your cap books in what's probably still going to be a flat cap environment. So they, they, they've still got cheap entry-level deal years from Svechnikov, Nietzsche, and Bean for next season. And they've got that 9 million to spend. And it's just a question of, of how they want to spend it because this is the most predatory team in the NHL in terms of the trade market, like just in the last 24 months, they've won, I don't know, 10 out of the 12 big moves that they made. Like they, they did the Marlowe cap dump uh, trade that got them the Leafs first. So now they've got the 13th overall pick in this draft. They were able to dump Calvin DeHaan on the Chicago Blackhawks. And he's, he's a fine defenseman and, the fact that dumping him, they end up going out and signing Jake Gardner. I don't know if that ended up being a win for them or not, but uh, it, it certainly provided them flexibility. 
the Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask deal was just a, a slam dunk. They dumped Jeff Skinner right before he hit unrestricted free agency. And I mean, he ends up scoring 40 goals, but he parlays that into what's turned into an albatross contract. The the Dougie Hamilton, Elias Lindholm trade was a blockbuster, but it was a win-win. Um, they were able to dump a fading Marcus Kruger for Jordan Martinuk, who's still playing a good role for them on the fourth line. Getting Reimer at, for Darling at the cost of a sixth rounder. Like anytime you're trading with Florida, you're you're coming out on top, and we saw that again with the Eric Howla, uh, Lucas Walmark for and spare parts for Vincent Trocheck deal. They got out of Justin Falk at the right time, and they scoop up Joel Edmondson for a season, and they got Dominic Bach for their troubles. And like the re- really the only misstep I see in there is giving up a first for Brady Shea, who looks more toolsy than he is actually skilled at driving play but if that's to augment your your second or third pairing that's not the worst thing in the world so they're going to do something with that cap space and they're probably it's probably going to be at the expense of some other team uh i just i wonder that number 13 pick is that something that they go out and trade for help now i i think they're probably going to end up holding on to that one. I think they had their two picks, uh, their own and uh, Toronto's, and I think they decided they were... Did they have the Rangers as well? And they moved that one or no? No, they moved theirs to the Rangers, and there was a whole bunch of protection situations. But uh, yeah, they did say that the only reason that they traded their own pick was because they were able to... uh, get the Leafs pick. So they had uh, a little extra money. Just, I just, I just think that this year there's such a narrow range, especially like we did the Seattle expansion draft uh, pod a few months back and they were one of the teams that was definitely going to be losing a talented player. I don't think there's any way they escape that. So mm-hmm. on top of having to spend all this extra money, they're almost certainly losing at least one good asset to Seattle next season. So this year is the year to absolutely capitalize on it. And as much as, they've crushed drafts and they're probably going to get a really good player in a strong draft at number 13. If there's a distressed star asset out there, like this is the year to jump on that. Yeah, they, they definitely could take advantage of that, but uh, adding a 13th overall pick, whether that's uh, an Anton Lundell or if they can fix their goaltending and, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Askarov. But uh, if they can nab Askarov there, then that's uh, a long-term solution there. But yeah, as you say, their window is fully open now. So it it would make some sense to see what they can turn that 13th overall into. And if it's a young enough asset that they have some term and control over, then I could see them seriously considering it. But I don't think they're going to look at grabbing uh, somebody who's already 29, 30 uh, for the cost of that 13th overall. They're a team that's for the last number of years been looking long-term and I think they will continue to do so uh, in terms of building for both now and the future. So yeah, I have a hard time buying them as a team that uses a first rounder on a goaltender. I think Tom Dundon has already indicated that they're not allowed to use first rounders on defensemen. 
uh, after doing so for basically a decade. Um, so I think it's it's forward or bust for them at the number 13 pick. And this is the right draft for it because there mm -hmm. are some fantastic forwards. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, if they do hold on to it, who they grab, and if it's maybe a more NHL-ready guy that they can plug in, maybe not next year, but uh, possibly in year two. And that would be a huge augment to fill the hole of whoever they're losing from this Seattle draft. Then maybe that's how they go about it instead. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, the Hurricanes, they've lost to the Boston Bruins in back-to-back -back playoffs. And I think in just about any other fan base, this would start to become a complex. I, I don't want to point any fingers at, uh, at any provincial capitals, but um, <laughs> there are other places that have done something similar and it, it's turned into quite the big deal. So do they need to change something to get over the hump against Boston or is it just a matter of time? I think the easy answer is uh, getting James Reimer and Jake Gardner off the roster. But, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think they can keep uh, just keep the ship straight, and they'll they'll end up getting past Boston at some point or another, or end up just not having to play them. I I don't really have any worries for Carolina that they're gonna kind of turn into a team that just can't get past another team they're so well built all over the ice that uh they'll they'll sort it out as long as they don't make start making rash decisions and losing trades and all that yeah i think you make a good point they may not even ever have to play the bruins again the bruins are one of the oldest teams in the league they've got some nice young talent there um, but uh, their window may close in a hurry if, if any of that, uh, that elite older talent uh, starts to leave. And they're not even in the same division, so mm -hmm. Boston could end up getting punched out before they would face off in a conference finals, uh, depending on how crossovers shake out. Uh, let's move on to the Montreal Canadiens. Is their window open or is it closed? It's tough to say it's open in a division with Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay because for the next couple of years, you're going to be coming in as a wildcard team at best. And that's what their roster looks like right now is a wildcard team at best. Um, it, it's tough to argue with Carey Price. Uh, he has shown that he can still do what he does best, but uh, they they don't really have that star power or the depth that you have a lot of faith in all around the ice. So it, it's tough to say that their window is open right now. I think they're closer to Arizona than they are to Carolina. Yeah, I kind of agree. What we saw in these playoffs is that and we saw it in the regular season as well. This is a team that does a really, really good job of driving elite shot shares. And I think that in the playoffs, 
you can get that full buy-in from everyone on the roster and you you get that playoff push and you you put the pedal to the metal for as long as you can and you hang on um, and, and you can make a really strong run with this sort of team in the playoffs, but they don't have the elite finishers that are going to get you over the hump. And it seems like having those top tier finishers is what gets you into the playoffs because you have to sustain it over 82 games and you just can't sustain this type of pace uh, from a team for 82 games. So when things are bogging down a little bit, you've got to have options to get you a goal out of nothing and just teeing up Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie for point shots. Isn't the answer to that. It, it, it may be come playoff time when like everything bogs down and you're just, you're just hoping for some breaks and you're hoping to rely on elite goaltending, but actually getting there, you know, Carey Price, he's getting older. He's not the guy who can give you 60 plus games anymore. So I don't think that this is a team that has the roster that gets you into the playoffs. They have the roster for once you're in the playoffs, but getting there, they shouldn't have been there this year and they may not be there next year. So it, it, it's it's tough to see where they find that push, but goal call field is on the way. So, you know, I'm loath to stake the, the whole franchise on, uh, on a 19-year-old prospect, but he does look like the real deal. So if he comes along in a couple of years, uh, that could really change things for them. And they also had really promising performances out of Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi. So I wonder, do they finally have the answer to their number one centerman question? I Yeah, I think their forward is their forward group is the last, the least of their worries right now. They've still got uh, Philip Deneau, Brennan Gallagher, and a bunch of other good names that haven't hit 30 yet. Max Domi's still 25. And as long as they can get uh, all of those guys re-signed as they're all free agents either this year or next, then they're looking great on forward with the development from Suzuki and Kokaniemi and definitely uh Cole Caulfield on the way so yeah I think uh they don't have the superstar number one center but I don't think their center ice depth is the flaw that it used to be it's it's the defense and the goaltending that you kind of wonder about Uh, as you mentioned with Price they're not he's not uh as young as he used to be and if Caden Primo is as good as he's been billed over the last year or so, then they could have their solution there in-house, and that's all settled. But you never really know with goaltending prospects until they're there. So that's uh, that's definitely a question mark at this point. And is he ready right now to start spelling Carey Price in the regular season, or do they go out and sign somebody, Thomas Kreis, Kim Talbot, uh, Brian Elliott, whoever, to take over a bit of a veteran backup role well you know alex i'm a big caden primo guy he is on all of my fantasy rosters and he's one for one he's he's i think he's played one game and it it was fantastic so give him the role um but continue (laughs) i wasn't aware of that uh i'll probably have to check and make sure you do actually own him in all of uh, the leagues that i'm in with you right now but yeah, he, he's definitely uh, ramped up some hype 
behind him. So there's definitely uh, a lot going on there that he could turn into be a very solid piece. And I guess you're all aboard that train. I was going to move on and say that the defenseman is also like the defense core is also a bit of a question mark at this point with Shea Weber being 35, Jeff Petrie being 32, and then it just being depth pieces after that. Victor Mate is really the only young guy there and he doesn't really look like more than a second pairing guy. So I'm not really sure what to make of their defense at this point and it's not like they have a whole lot other than uh, Alex Romanov coming up I've heard some things about uh, Josh Brook and Kale Fleury but uh, it does seem like a bit of a mixed bag and I don't know if they really have uh, another top pair defenseman coming up there so that's definitely something if they want to complement all of the young forwards that they have then that's the place to go and really what they should be looking to improve at this point if they can. So let me ask the question. They've got a ton of cap flexibility and they've got a mountain of draft picks so they could go any direction in terms of trading for assets that add a little bit of salary or trying to strike big in the free agent market with some of those big name defensemen free agents like Petrangelo, Barry, Tory Krug, is that something that they go out and, and spend that free agent money? Or does the fact that their elite play driving top line of Gallagher, Tatar, and Deneau only having one year left on each of their deals before hitting unrestricted free agency give them pause? Like I know that Bergeman said they have to be really uh, careful in how they add salary this summer because they've got those decisions coming forward. So how do you navigate that knowing that they probably do need to find something to augment uh, the left side of their defense with, uh, with Weber and Petrie getting up in years? Yeah, I think you almost answered your own question there that Bergevin has said that they do need to be careful with how they're spending in free agency. I don't think they're going to go out and sign one of those big names, be it Tori Krug or even Alex Petrangelo. I don't think it's really what they need at this point either. They need some youth coming up that can start on the uh, second or third pairing and work their way into taking over a top role in a few years. So I think more likely they end up uh, going the trade route and whether that's taking on a bad contract and getting a cheap defenseman uh, attached to it or some other creative way of taking advantage of their current cap space. I, I think that's uh, at least where the smart money would be. But watch them spend 36 million, 6 million AAV over six years for like TJ Brody. That, that would uh, add up and match. They, they'd make a great, uh, yeah, he'd make a great fourth pair in D with Carl Alsner right now, I think. Oh, good. You finished the joke. That's perfect. I was trying to tee up for that. Um, <laughs> um, I've alluded to this uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks, but uh, same story with the Habs. I know 
a very large portion of their fan base was rooting for them to tank the plan because they wanted a shot at Lafreniere. And if they didn't get him, then they would at least still have the number nine pick. Um, they're going to get a good player at 16. And Bergevin suggested that the difference between picking ninth and 16th is marginal, but we've all seen the draft pick value uh, exponential de decline charts and the difference between ninth and 16th isn't really that marginal. Um, so I wonder if there wasn't a missed opportunity here to kind of stack elite uh, entry level talent with uh, Suzuki and Kakaniami already providing value and if they wouldn't have been better served losing and ending up with the ninth, even though like I'm fully on board with you go for it every time you get a chance. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a bit of a trade-off with getting the playoff experience for those young guys and taking the hit at the draft table. But uh, as we saw with Montreal last year, they were very happy to sit and wait for the player at, I think it was 15th overall or so, that fell out of that top set, just nab Cole Caulfield. So them doing the same again this year maybe they can uh sit and wait and, and alex holtz or uh somebody like that is still sitting there for them at 16. yeah i, I totally understand how they would have that hubris it, it certainly worked out for them last year and they have put together a decent track record of hitting on some players in that range although they've also had some busts uh just thinking back to louis leblanc but um yeah, I think that uh, I think that kind of wraps that up for the Montreal Canadiens. So, Alex, uh, this was this was great. Uh, we we broke down the five teams that we wanted to. Um, any parting thoughts? Like, do you have uh, what are you expecting from the coming playoff series? I don't have any vested rooting interest, so I'm just hoping that the NHL can continue to schedule a few day games as well because I've really been enjoying uh, turning on uh, hockey at noon and basically watching it until I go to bed. I'm hoping that they can uh, continue to do some of that, and otherwise just uh, hoping that we don't end up seeing Boston raise another cup. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, because they are getting fully healthy, and maybe Rask finds his way back to the bubble and that uh, that alleviates some of the load from Yarrow Halak because you do wonder. We've seen him go on some long runs before, but uh, I, I think the gas tank will get tapped at some point here where I, I don't take them as seriously as other teams, even though I know that right now they're, they're buzzing and, and fully operational and very scary. I just, I don't think that there's three more rounds worth of, uh, worth of Halak playing it an elite level. So I'm not too worried about Boston, but I, I would be if I was a Lightning fan. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, it's strange that it's only the second round at this point too. It feels like we're a week away from the Stanley Cup finals, just with uh, all the hockey we've had crammed in over the last uh, month or so. Well, they're going to keep cranking it out as fast as they can. So we're not that far removed from the cup finals. It's going to be here before we know it. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, anything you want the folks to check out? Uh, weekly articles as always, but uh, yeah, that's 
all that's on the docket for the next uh, month or so anyway. Right on. We'll uh, we'll make sure we check you out on Twitter at Alex D. McLean, and we'll check out your capped articles over on Dauber Hockey. All right, that was our conversation with Alex McLean. We broke down four teams that were eliminated from the bubble. We did mention that there was a fifth. We talked about the Arizona Coyotes, but with all the revelations that came out about their lost draft picks and stuff like that, I decided to scuttle that part of the conversation. And we're going to have Rose Ford from Five for Howling come on uh, later this week. Hopefully have that pod out uh, this week, if not next week, and add it to the growing list of playoff postmortems that we've done so i'm really excited to have that conversation and the bruins were now eliminated so we'll be having that conversation with uh mark allred from the black and gold pod so we've got lots of exciting stuff planned for the upcoming episode i'd also mention that on this podcast we talked about the washington capitals possibly firing todd reardon and literally the second Alex and I stopped uh, recording our conversation, the news came out of Todd Reardon's firing. So that's just the news is becoming uh, it's been coming out uh, very fast and aggressive this summer. There's been trades to break down, lots of exciting things. So uh, no end of fun for myself and, and hockey fans and people who just who just can't get enough of the nitty gritty of roster building and transactions. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed the pod. If you did, uh, please like, subscribe and review wherever you get your podcast once again thanks to alex from dauberhockey.com for coming on the podcast and chatting with me this was a fantastic episode Uh, everyone continue to enjoy the playoffs continue to stay safe and take care